This is Bill McLive, iHeartRadio's talk for the Space Coast. With today's Common Sense on Common Radio. Here's Bill Mick. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you Hour 3 of our program. Good to have you along on a Tuesday morning. It's the 29th of March, 2022. BillMick.com, headline for the day is Lober resigns from commission. Did someone find a chair? We dispensed with that in Hour number 2. I'm sure that will be an ongoing saga as we see the truth of the matter weighed out in front of us at some point. Looking forward to that as we get the opportunity to uh, do so. 321-768-1240 if you want to check in here. As with a Tuesday morning, the 8 o'clock hour. It's time for Dave Does History. Dave Bowman joins us. He's host of Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast. I've got links for you there on the show page at BillMick.com. Shared a link for you there on the WMMB Facebook page as well. So you can catch up with Dave that way. Let's catch up with him now. Good morning, Dave. How are you, buddy? Good morning. I am doing well. Very good. Uh, It's week three of Dwight David Eisenhower. Didn't know that it was going to take as much time to get through this, but Dave, you uncovered a lot of stuff that we were talking about. There's an old adage, you know, never sit next to a historian at a a party because you can't, you ask them a question about something and and you get a three-week answer. So hopefully... So, so you're better off to ask him to define woman, apparently. Or, yeah, yeah, I talked about that yesterday on my show. Anyway, <laughs> Bill, I have a couple of theories about government. Now, I know you're going to say, well, what does this have to do with Eisenhower? Stay with me. We're going we're gonna to go through this. I have a couple of theories about government that I want to okay. give you here as we start this discussion. Number one is there is no such thing as open government. Literally, you just said, maybe we'll find out about this Lober thing. Maybe we won't. I'm going to bet you won't because there is no such thing as open government. Uh, we, we say we want it. We all say we, we want open government. We want our government to be open and honest with us. But we really don't. And we really don't even expect it Not as a society, corporately. In the, in the words of Sir Humphrey Appleby, uh, you can be open or you can have government. You can't do both. So... Even when government says it's being open and honest about things, we mm-hmm. don't tend to believe that. We, we tend to think, yeah, you say that, but I'm not sure you really mean it because we expect them. We expect them to say that, but we don't really expect them to follow through on it because our experience tells us otherwise, right? I mean, yeah, that's generally true. It's There's always something that we didn't see, know, or understand, right? And, and why do you think that is? Because if they told you everything you were, they were doing, they'd never get anything done. You know, it's the old adage. If people don't know what you're doing, they don't know what you're doing wrong. So if we don't tell them, they won't know. And we come up with some remarkable excuses as to why we don't tell people what's going on. The second Well, Dave, you and I have talked in the past. I've talked it on, on intelligence and security issues. You've talked it in submarine operations and the like, there are things that should not be out there for the public, for the good of the country, for the good of our men and women serving the country in various capacities. And yet you can open the Daily Mail newspaper yesterday and read some of those things on the headline. I mean, you, you, Rod and I were having a conversation about this yesterday about, you know, 
we're, we're publishing these things that we say should be secret on the front page of the newspaper, which tells me that it's probably not really true anyway. So it, it's, a, it's a game that they play. And at the end of the day, the things that we think we really wanted, that we say we really want to know about government, we really don't. And the governments in general are very happy not to tell us. What kind of things are you talking about? What are you thinking here? If the government knew that the dollar was going to be devalued next week, do you think that Joe Biden would stand up and tell you that? He would tell you that the dollar He was, might. Well, <laughs> he may, yeah, if yeah, he knew. He might, but Jen Psaki would tell you that the dollar's never been stronger. Everything's great. Don't believe the rumors. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something we're used to, and we don't really think about it, but it is true. The second theory that I have is that it, it's known as house trading. And this is very, this is the one that gets me in trouble. It doesn't matter who you send to office. Right? It, it, in the broad scheme of things, you can send the perfect candidate to office, elect them, and eventually they will become what's known as house trained. They will start giving you the reasons why the, the number one thing they say is, if you only knew what I knew, you would see it my way. And they start to do things the way the government wants them to do things. And we complain about this all the time with candidates that go to office, right? Oh, we thought they were a hardcore conservative, but it turns out they're not. Did they change? Probably, because what happens is the system captures them and they're unable to really buck the system because the system is so big that it basically just, it just reins them in and it house trains them. Now, those are my two theories. They're controversial. I'll give you that. People don't like them. But in Eisenhower's presidency, we're going to see these two theories come to fruition. And then in the subsequent years, we'll see it a lot. We'll tell you more about it in just 60 seconds. Dave Bowman with us on Bill McLive. Make it 30 seconds instead as we talk with Dave Bowman. Dave does history on Bill McLive. So Ike gets into office, Dave. Tell us what's going on. That's funny. Um, So let's jump back just a little bit to 1946, post-World War II. And the United States is the only nuclear power in the world. Sorry, nuclear power in the world. And we decide that we're going to test some atomic bombs. And you've probably seen the movies of this at Bikini Atoll, where they blow up all the ships in, in Bikini Atoll. And there's a very famous film of Admiral Radford complaining. I mean, he's, he's holding a, a, a press conference kind of thing. And he's, he's complaining about, I'm not a nuclear cowboy. These bombs will not open up a hole in the bottom of the ocean and drain all the oceans in the world down to wherever. He's very mad about it. And it's, it's seen as a demonstration of American power, but underlying it is a problem. And that problem is that the Soviet Union develops the atomic bomb five years sooner than anybody thinks they will because of spying and the likes of that. So this propels the United States to do something that is seriously questionable morality-wise. And that is, Edmund Teller says, let's build what's known today as the H-bomb, the hydrogen bomb. Now, I'm not going to sit here and get into the whole description of why and how these works, but you need to understand that in the early 50s, there are serious questions about the morality of building an H-bomb. Because number one, people don't even know if it'll work. Number two, if it does work, there's a lot of fear about what it'll do. And so 
the State Department forms a panel of consultants. They're called the Panel of Consultants on Disarmament. And they issue a report that in 1952 says, we recommend you do not test H-bombs. To which Truman basically says, screw that, we're testing H-bombs. <laughs> in Operation Ivy Mike, they, the United States sets off the first hydrogen bomb in, in November of 1952. And it scares the pants off everybody. You know, we're watching what's happening today with Putin. I'm not even sure that the fear of that compares to what people, because they'd never seen this before. And the first H-bomb is seriously underrated. They think it's going to be about five megatons and it turns out to be 15 and they weren't sure that it wasn't going to be bigger. It was like, oh crap, this is, this is not good. The second thing the state department panel recommends is that there be quote, more openness and less secrecy towards the American people when it comes to atomic weapons. And of course the election happens, Eisenhower wins and Eisenhower in January of 1953 comes into office and his first days in office, he sits down and reads this report and thinks to himself because he's Eisenhower, right? He's not, he's not a politician. He's not somebody who was a congressman, a senator, a city councilman worked his way up. He's a general. He reads the report and he says, yes, we need to be more open and less secret towards the American people because they need to know why this, this atomic Armageddon is potentially so dangerous. And they need to know how powerful the Soviets have become in just a short amount of time and why that's so important to them. But remember, Bill, you can be open or you can have government. Eisenhower doesn't understand that. But believe me, all the people around him do understand that. You can be open or you can have government. And so Eisenhower takes a vacation, and of all the places in the world, he goes to Denver, Colorado. I don't know why he went to Denver. It's not really clear. But in Denver, Colorado, he goes swimming in a swimming pool. And somehow or another, that swimming pool gives him an idea. And he can't wait to get back to Washington, D.C., and tell all these eggheads, all these government officials, all these bureaucrats, all these, all these uh, people that know more about things and how they work than he does, his idea for something he is going to call the atomic pool, which is really the genesis of what will become Project Candor, which is what Keith wanted me to talk about a month ago before we even mm -hmm. got started on all this stuff. And that's where it all begins at a swimming pool in Denver, Colorado in 1953. Weird. Interesting. Huh? And we get there with Dave Bowman from Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast, as we continue on Bill Mick Live. It's a, another fun day of diving into history as Dave does history on Bill Mick Live. You want in on it? It's 321-768-1240. We'll let you talk to Dave as we have the opportunity as we're getting a look at what uh, Keith had brought to the table just a few weeks ago, we continue it here with Dave Bowman on Bill McLeod. By the way, rocket launches, yeah, we've got a new partner for those. It's the uh, folks at SpaceLaunchSchedule.com, and it's our launch coverage page. Go, go to the uh, menu icon on the top left, click on Demand, and you'll see Space Launch coverage from the folks at SpaceLaunchSchedule.com. Every launch from the Cape 
and everywhere else. The time is 826. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you this hour of Common Sense, Uncommon Radio, and just a touch of history with Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Let's get back into it as we're looking at the presidency of uh, Dwight Eisenhower. And just where it's taken us all, government, whether it's open or not, and can you have both existing at the same time? Dave, we're getting into uh, Ike's first days of the presidency. You say he went to Denver Got an idea in a swimming pool. What's he bringing back to the table? So he looks around this swimming pool in Denver, and he sees all these people sharing the pool. And it hits him. We should share all of our atomic benefits. So he he writes a memo. And this actually leads to all the NATO countries send their prime ministers or presidents and their foreign ministers or secretary of states to a big meeting at which there are actual minutes for this meeting where the first topic of conversation is actually whether or not they're going to allow Winston Churchill to smoke a cigar in the meeting or not. I'm not making that up. So the the idea here is Ike's proposal is we're going to share all of our atomic stuff with you, except for weapons. All this, all this stuff for reactors and all the things you can do with atomic uh, energy and stuff like that. We're going to, we're just going to freely share it with you. And everybody thinks this is a great idea. And this is really the genesis. He, he also tells them that he's been invited to speak at the United Nations, and he doesn't know what he's going to speak about. And everybody says, well, why don't you talk about this? The atomic, you know, Adams for Peace speech is born out of that meeting. It's, a, it, it's an interesting idea. You can probably already see that it never happened. And why didn't it happen? Well, believe it or not, uh, the Russians are going to nuke the idea so to speak. They don't like this idea at all. They think that this is just a trick and they're not going to go along with it. But the idea births something that the, the politicians and the bureaucrats see in this an opportunity. And one of the things Ike is concerned about is that the public, the American public, do not yet grasp the import that we live in an age of great peril. A greater effort is needed to make clear the dangers that confront us, the power of the enemy, the difficulty of reducing that power, and the probable duration of this conflict. They come up with this idea that will eventually become, as I said, Project Candor. The word candor means open, truthful, we're going to honest, we're going to show you everything, which of course means that they're not going to, but they name it that because there you go. Project Candor is a government TV radio blitz. Literally, not, Bill, this is 1954, 1955. Literally billions of government PSA hits around the country on both television and radio. You and I know what that means. <laughs> of PSAs that we have to run because the government has said, this is information that needs to get out. These, Wear a mask. Get your shot. Get exactly. your kids a shot. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere. Exactly. It, it's going to tell us about the massive capabilities of the Russian nuclear arms, sorry, nuclear arms. And it's going to tell everybody about the grave danger of nuclear war and how you need to be prepared for this. This is really the birth of something that's going to come into play later on. 
of the missile gap theory because it's going to be so focused on how strong the Russians are. Now, are the Russians really that strong? It's debatable, but, but we need the people to believe that they are. Because if the people believe that they are, well, what happens when people believe what the government tells them? They, they vote for school board tax increases. And they wear masks and they do things that the government wants them to do. So if uh -huh. you have billions of PSAs and television shows, people are going to get the word, that, especially in the 1950s when people actually, you know, didn't have anything else to distract them. And so TV was kind of new and very influential. And we were influenced by those. Why are we wearing seatbelts today? It's not because of law. It's because of crash test dummies. Right. Right. And, and right. keep in mind, there were only what, three, maybe four channels. So it wasn't like and mm -hmm. all of them were running the same thing. So it wasn't like you could flip around and go, I don't want to watch that. I, I don't need to watch Dr. Fauci today. I need to watch Gilligan's Island. You couldn't do that back in those days. And that's going to lead us to 1953 and really the birth of Operation Candor. We'll tell you more about that in just 60 seconds. And the hour is being brought to you by Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. You know, I've come to trust Gatto's through the years. Matter of fact, during the last break, I just got a text from a friend who said, hey, Bill, I'm over at Gatto's across the street from the studio. We got to catch up when we get a chance. I haven't seen this friend in, what, months. So be a great opportunity. Hope we're able to do that. So maybe Gatto's is a place where friends meet. It's also the place where you get your vehicle taken care of and you can trust the people who do it. They've taken care of my truck for years, whether it's maintenance or repairs or tires. And my last set of tires at Gatto's right now, $15 off on alignments and in their cocoa location, six locations around the county, by the way, and in their cocoa location, they uh, can do the alignments on any size RV or even commercial trucks. Also, as we get ready to jump into summer, and you're going to need this, $10 off their air conditioning checks as well. Up right now, up to $150 rebates on a set of Goodyear tires. So everything you're looking for your for your vehicle, including warranties, and most importantly, that trust. you got to go to Gatto's, and I appreciate Gatto's bringing you this hour of the program. Dave, before we continue, let's get a quick phone call in. As we go to line one, you're on with Dave Bowman. Good morning. Hey, good morning, uh, Bill, Dave. Uh, you know, really, the reason I call is because I, I don't have your number to text you, Bill. Um uh, I, I was just getting a real lead-in uh, around the Sarno area uh, when I normally don't, and uh, down where I normally just get a little lead-in, but I can still listen. I can't, I can't get the radio station at all, so uh, just a FYI for you, the quickest way I could get to you. Okay, 1240 or 1350, you're listening to 1240 or 92.7 FM? 92.7. Okay, 1240 should give you a decent signal in the area you're talking about, or you can always bring us up on the iHeartRadio app. So I appreciate you letting me know. Dave, let's get back into 1953. What's going on now? In, in April of 1953, there's a working committee that, that is developing this idea of how we're going to present Operation Candor. In one of the best memos I've ever seen in my life, they, they talk about the fact that they have all these ideas. They have many drafts. None of them are satisfactory because they either tell the public too much, they don't tell the public enough, or, this is great, they are uniformly dull. They, they just suck. And so, <laughs> but they got to do this. <laughs> so eventually they hit on this idea of six national TV shows slash radio broadcasts. They're simulcasts. And they're going to do six programs. 
They're going to originate from the Oval Office, the White House. The first two are going to be hosted by the president himself. They're going to talk about things like the nature of communism. Eisenhower is going to do this along with John Foster Dulles, who's the Secretary of State and the brother of Alan Dulles. Dulles. They're going to talk about the capabilities of the USSR. Alan Dulles and Beetle Smith, General Beetle Smith, are going to do that. The threat to the United States, Admiral Radford of, of, Project, of, of Project Crossroads fame. They're going to have one called The Free World in the United Nations with Cab, Henry Cabot Lodge. They're going to do Communism at Home, hosted by J. Edgar Hoover. The FBI director is going to stand on your TV and tell you about your neighbor might be a communist. And the final episode will be titled what good citizens can do. And it's just Eisenhower himself telling people, Hey, here's how you can help defeat the communist menace and fight against Russian nuclear power. Isn't, and, and these things are going to be nationally broadcast plus all the PSAs. And they're going to tell the people everything in full candor, what they need to know about nuclear war, atomic war, and the, you know, what needs to happen. But here's the problem. You can be open or you can have government. Dave, is this around the time we started seeing science fiction movies about the problems nuclear war would cause like Godzilla and everything else? Yeah. My favorite one, the, uh, the monster from, from the salt and lake where the snail gets atomically and becomes giant and eats people. And the Navy has to go in and save the world. Yeah. yeah great stuff. Huh? Great we'll stuff. get into the propaganda and where it takes us with Dave Bowman. As we conclude, Dave does history and the, uh, initiation of operation candor three, two, one, seven, six, eight, 12, 40. We'll hold some time for you at the end for calls. If you want to get in. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you this hour the program. Yesterday's uh, call of the day came from Juan as he was uh, very great at getting his point across and made him the call of the day. Somebody's going to make that mark today. We'll find out who it is, but we're... Our Dave Does History with Dave Bowman. Joining us from Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast, linked up for you on the WMMB Facebook page, also at BillMick.com on today's show page. Dave, we've got Operation Candor getting uh, getting started, but as you reminded us, you can be open or you can have government. Where's this thing falling? So the second one of those is every politician ends up house trained. They all, it doesn't matter who you send to Washington, your city council, your state legislature, they all end up captured by the system. So keep those two things in mind. As Project Candor rolls out and these TV shows are broadcast. Now, this is kind of interesting to me, Bill, because I am unable to locate any transcript or video of these productions. I tried to find them. Really? Couldn't find them anywhere. I can find references to them. YouTube had everything. I thought so too. I can find references to it, but you can't actually, it's not even in the presidential library, in the Eisenhower library. It's so weird to me. But the problem- Library of Congress, maybe? It's possible. I just ran out of time. The problem with Project Candor is it ends up not necessarily being an education program as much as it ends up being a propaganda program. Like I said, it's the birth, the genesis of the missile gap theory- which will lead almost directly to the election of President Kennedy 
and eventually to the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. What it really does, what Project Candor really does, is it justifies higher taxes. Now, they sell this as, well, we've got to, we've got to counter what the Russians are doing, and the only way we can do that is if we have more money. And so, mm-hmm. under Eisenhower, a Republican, taxes go up significantly. The military gets massive expansion because, well, we've got to be strong all the time now. We can't let our, we can't let our guard down. There is turmoil in Cuba that eventually will lead to the revolution and the installation of Fidel Castro. And we have to do some things about that. And we need more money to deal with that. But the biggest thing that's happening, and nobody realizes it, is that by 1954, a year and a half, two years into Eisenhower's presidency, the United States has spent $3 billion in 1954 dollars on a little place called Vietnam. And Mm. nobody even knows about this yet. So all these higher taxes, expanded military, secrecy stuff that we need to battle the communists is being funneled. Much of it is being funneled into Southeast Asia. And eventually that's going to go way higher, but $3 billion in 1954, that's a buttload of money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And people are getting concerned about this because, well, they don't even really notice that it's happening because their government's being opened with them, right? And telling them everything. Of course they are, yeah. Everything they want to know, which really means that we don't know anything about what they're doing. The second theory is that every politician becomes house trained, including, by the Mm -hmm. way, Eisenhower. And I'll tell you about that in 60 seconds. Anything you miss all day long, the podcast section at BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. Dave Bowman with us. Dave does history. So, Dave, you're saying even the president gets house trained as to how to do politics and not let the public play along. Well, I mean, you'd have to say Project Candor. There's no way Eisenhower didn't know that we were sending $3 billion to Vietnam. There's no way he doesn't know about what's happening in Cuba. In fact, in many ways, he plans what will happen later on in the six, in the early sixties uh, in Cuba. In fact, he and Kennedy have a meeting about a month before it happens, where they probably talk about it. I think every politician becomes house trained. To his credit, though, I think that Ike realizes that he's been—I mm, don't want to say used, but he's been captured by the system, and I think he realizes that because he does something that no other president, with the exception of Washington, as far as I know does. And that is his farewell address. When he's getting three days before he leaves office and public service, he's going to give a farewell address. Now, the problem, Bill, is as 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 the great rabbis teach, those who deceive the public with dishonest measures, it's not possible for them to repent fully. So Eisenhower's speech is kind of a repentance, but at the same time, he really doesn't put a stop to anything that's, that, that he has helped bring about. And in his farewell address, which most people know as the beware the military industrial complex speech, right? We've all heard it. He, mm-hmm. he kind of lays out some things that if you know what's going on, you, you understand it. In that speech, 
he reiterates the Soviet danger. So even though he's kind of trying to tell you, hey, you're being taken advantage of, he still repeats the same things that he's been saying in Operation Candor the whole time. The Soviets are very dangerous. We now have to have a large military all the time. See, up until, up until Korea, the United States, the, the military was very small, except in time of war. Then we bring in the, the National Guard or the militia or whatever, and then we'd go back to this little side. Now we can't do that. We have to have a permanent military growth and expansion, and we have to have something called the permanent armaments, armaments industry, always developing new weapons, always spending money. He says all this, but then he says, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwar unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or our democratic process. We should take nothing for granted. He recognizes what's happening, but he really, he's pleading with the American people, you have to stop this because I can't. But the problem is that these people have spent, the American people have spent the last eight years <coughs> being told that this is absolutely necessary. And if we don't follow it, we're all going to die. He goes on to say something that's, I think, critical and more critical even than the military industrial combat. He talks about universities, our schools becoming dependent on federal money for research because it's so expensive to do research that private laboratories can't do it anymore. It has to be the universities and they have to be funded by the federal government, i.e. government money in universities. He says this, in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become captive of a scientific technological elite. We want democracy to survive for all generations to become, to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. He actually tells us that our universities are feeding through this scientific technological elite are feeding the military and industrial complex and, and combined with the government are, are, are leading us down a path that's going to lead to insolvency if we're not careful. Most people watch that speech. It's about 16 minutes long. You can see it on YouTube. And mm -hmm. we fixate on that military industrial complex because that's what, you know, the Ron Pauls of the world get into and the likes of that. But reality is it's so much more. And Ike is trying to tell us because he knows he's been house trained. He knows he's been captured and he knows he hasn't been really candor with the, candid with the American people, but he's trying to both, I think, apologize, warn, and at the same time, rationalize what's happened in the previous eight years. And he knows where this is headed. And it's not going to be long before things really head south in the world. So did we learn anything from his speech? Did we learn anything from Project Candor? What's the legacy? I think the legacy is that the government learned that if it spends enough money on public relations, it can convince people to do anything, which we've spent the last two years doing. And I don't think we learned anything about the scientific technological elite. What a lesson that is. Dave, we've got limited time and we got jammed phone lines. Let's get to it. 
We'll just take them in the order they came in. Line one, you're on with Dave Bowman. Make it quick, please. Hey, Billy Splitch. And we go to line two. Good morning. You're on with Dave. Tell me your thoughts. Hey, you good. Good morning, Bill. Um, in the first place, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was never a politician. He was a supreme commander of Allied Expeditionary Forces in World War II. He was coaxed into running for president. And after eight years, he had been house trained and he had been taught to lie, which is proven by the U-2 spy plane that was shot down over in 1960. And Eisenhower came up with all kinds of scenarios, like the guy had uh, oxygen uh, mask problems or just wandered off. And uh, actually, it turned out he had to admit that it was required that Eisenhower approve of those overflights over Russia. So he, he turned out to be a, an astute politician. I like I, by the way. I got to say that. But just uh, not exactly what you expected. Dave, quick response. You can be open or you can have government. And <laughs> line three, you're on Bill McLive. Good morning. Hey, this is Keith from Bombay, and I really appreciate it, Dave. I appreciate what you got into, and it it just sort of confirms what, what I was thinking because, of, you know, this is the beginning of the modern Third World War. We've been doing this repeat and rent since 1900. Uh, going into World War, and then the globalists take over and want to do the balance of power, and they did it in World War II afterwards. You know, there was even a U.N. before the U.N., you know, during the 1900s. It's been going on like a, a historical thing. And I think a lot of people missed the, the Vietnam in the early days because it was Indochina. They referred to it as Indochina in the French and the Chinese. I know they were trying to get my dad a frontline cook to go over there at the time after Korea, but um, very interesting talk, and I really appreciate it. All right, Keith, thanks. I know Dave does it well. Line four, you're on Bill McLive. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. Dave, I got a quick question. How can we, as a society, stop this <laughs> war, war for profit? You know, Ike, you know, did his, you know, war speech at the end. Smetley Butler, you know, talked about it, wrote it in his book in the 30s. I mean, so on, so on. I mean, what does it take for America to know that, you know, to stop war for profit and just let these countries stop being, you know, everybody's big brother? Thanks, Brody. Good question. Dave, I'll let you handle that, and that's going to be it. We don't have time for more calls today. Eisenhower closed his farewell speech by saying, we cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without risking the loss of their political and spiritual heritage. He was right. The answer to your question is, I don't know that we can unless we retake things, but the government has become so massive, so big, and so, you know, house training of everybody that we send there. Again, it doesn't matter who you send. They're going to get house trained. The only way we can do it is hold them accountable. And I don't think we, the people, are willing to do that because we don't want to give up our stimulus checks. Hey, Bowman, as Keith said, thank you so much. It's been interesting and fun. We're going to give you a sabbatical next week so you don't have to be here. How's that? Great. I can take my son out on spring break. There you go. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service made the hour possible. Wide open Wednesday tomorrow, wherever you want to go. Dave Bowman, week after next.